If you know how to use your privilege for good, then you're able to say, okay, you can't talk about this, but I will amplify your voice. I will make it such that it's easier to be able to talk about it. So you don't lose your job and you don't lose your kids. Could you imagine like being able saying I have depression and being afraid to lose your job or lose your, like that's crazy, but that is people's reality. So if we have positions of privilege and we're able to use that privilege to say, I'm going to amplify this message a little bit more. So it doesn't happen to people, then why not do that? Selena Caesar Chavan served as a member of parliament in Ontario, Canada from 2015 to 2019. Having recently listened to her book, I was incredibly impressed by Selena's life story and her level of determination through some major life pivots. Welcome to The Safe Haven. I'm your host, Amanda Lytle. The Safe Haven offers a collection of conversations about life's challenges and the pivots we make in order to keep moving forward. Forced into leaving a job she loved, her book called Can You Hear Me Now? helps offer a way more in-depth look behind the difficult decision. I love this conversation today so much, especially because we don't simply recap on what Selena's new book is about. Instead, Selena offers another side to the stories in the book by sharing the space from which the sharing stemmed from in the first place. There are so many messages in the book that Selena elaborates on in this conversation, including her experience digging deeper into her stories to heal in the process of writing the book while honoring her truth. Selena talks about her work disrupting narratives and unspoken expectations of our world. She also shares the intention behind normalizing the conversation around mental health in order to amplify the voices of the people that don't have the privilege to speak out as easily. I've just asked Selena about many life pivots that she's had, but if I was to ask her, Selena, if I asked you to pinpoint the most monumental, what would it be? That's a difficult question to answer because... You know, I could say leaving university and then going back to school is like the biggest one because I single-handedly turned my life around. Or I could say leaving, you know, research work and then starting my own company. Mm-hmm. Or I could say <laughs> leaving my company and going into politics, which was totally not. And each of those pivots were ne- were not planned they were not like something that I've been thinking about doing, or this is part of, you know, a natural sort of pivot. It was either, oh my God, like I'm in trouble. I need to do something or, huh, that sounds like a good, a good like a good idea. Let me do that. Mm-hmm. So those three, I don't know which one was the biggest I would probably point to would be after university and going back to school, mm-hmm. because that sort of set me up for the next and the next and the next. Right. And balancing kids in the meantime as well. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you know, I it's it's interesting because that one, yes, I did. I was married. I had my first daughter and it was, oh my God, what do I do with my life? Like clearly I have to do something more than working in this warehouse. I could do something more. I, I, I have the degree. And so how do I use the degree for something good? Well, that would require me to go back to school and work as a research student and then research assistant, research coordinator. But in those two years, you have a family, you know, you're working on minimum wage, you're trying to figure out next. And it's like, oh my God, you're, you're starting from the bottom. Now you're here, right? Mm-hmm. That's the, that's the start from the bottom moments that got me here. Right. Yeah. There we, it's Drake. 
how how crazy is that? <laughs> Thanks, Drake. <laughs> oh, I love it. So having listened to your book, there were times that I was so, so glad that I was able to listen to it versus reading it because I loved that you narrated it. So hearing okay. you share it, it was like we were just hanging out and you were just telling me about everything that you've been through. So I really appreciated the listener experience of it. Wow. Okay. Yeah, it was awesome. And I, I think just because of my my life and just things that I'm trying to to navigate and to balance, it gave me that opportunity to really sink into what you were sharing and digest it at, I, yeah, I don't know. I think just as a listener, I appreciated yes. that it was you. You could hear the emotion in your voice. Yeah, there were some points where I cracked up and mm -hmm. uh, like my voice started cracking and there was, I mean, it's an emotional story, right? And there's some parts of the book that I had to stop recording, get my breath. And then, I, you know, I was like, okay, Selena, come on. And I'm in the booth alone because it's COVID and the sound engineers outside my, my producers on, on Zoom. And so it's really weird. And I'm in the booth going, come on, Selena, you could do this get your head together. Come on. It's not that bad. Yeah. And like, I'm talking myself through this as I'm, as I'm bawling mm -hmm. in the booth. And then, you know, the engineer will come on. It's like, it's okay, Selena, Aww. you could do this. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, poor Dean. Dean doesn't know me from a hill of grass. And he's, it's okay. We could do this. Take your time. <laughs> what an experience. Such an experience. And I didn't know that I was going to be recording. I thought it was going to be somebody else recording. And so I was like, oh, this is great. That's good. And then they're like, okay, well, when can you come in and do the book? And I was like, who do come in and do the book where? So we would go to Toronto, do the, the production. Like it has to be produced in a, an actual booth. And I was just like, you're kidding. I'm doing it. I don't want to hear my own voice for 13 chapters. Mm -hmm. And they said, no, people want to hear your voice. Yeah. It has to be doing it. Can't be anybody else. And so that, that in and of itself was a crazy experience. Mm -hmm. It's interesting that you say that just about how, you know, the listening to your own voice and whatever, but as, as a listener, there were certain elements that I was able to pull out that I really connected with. And I love that you're talking about the emotions in the story and about sharing right. your story because I had actually pulled over and listened and re-listened and re-listened to write down one quote in the book in specific that really resonated with me because of what I'm doing with this podcast. So I want to share it here. Of all the people who spoke to me about the miscarriages and told me how I should be feeling, she was the only one who admitted going through the experience herself. That one story gave me what I needed to no longer feel alone and ashamed. Stories are sticky, which is why we need to tell them. True. Sharing our experiences helps others feel like they are not alone in a given circumstance. But I also believe that the vulnerability we show in telling our stories gives other people hope. It was in that moment that I realized the power of using our most vulnerable moments to build strength and resilience in other people, as well as ourselves, to empower others and create the sense of humanity that is so often lacking in our society because we are too busy trying to show off to our neighbors instead of trying to show up for them. Oh, so when I heard that, I was like, see, this is why I felt like that's why it's so much more important that it was you sharing it because your emotion in the book and the sharing of that is helping people feel less alone. Yeah. 
Yeah. You know, when I wrote that, that's one of my favorite passages of the book, Mm. because we are too busy showing off to our neighbors instead of showing, showing up for them. We want to keep up with the Joneses like that, that whole philosophy, who are the Joneses, first of all, because I don't know if I know anybody named Joneses (laughs) and I don't know where they are or where they exist, but for some reason we have to keep up with the Joneses. I don't even know what kind of house they have or the car they drive. I know nothing about them, but I'm keeping up with them. How insane is that? Where did these rules come from that we have to do this? And and then so we buy bigger, we buy fancier, we put the white picket fence up and we think that we've made it wherever it, wherever the Joneses are, because I don't know where they are either. So I don't know where I made it to where. (laughs) And instead of just showing up for our neighbors, and I think that the timing of the book coming out during a global pandemic and knowing that at this moment, everybody on my street is almost 80 years old. We have to show up for our neighbors. They don't care what kind of car I drive. They don't even have a mortgage on their houses because they've lived there for so long and they bought them for $5,000. I paid over 600 for mine. And, you know, so there's no point in showing off to them because they're like, come on, little lady. Like (laughs) we don't even have a mortgage, but this is the moment where you show up Mm -hmm. for your neighbor where you show up for your sisters, where you show up for people who don't even know that you're showing up for them because you're paying it forward. You're paying something forward. And that humanity that gets lost in the polarization and discrimination and all these conversations, this is the moment. If we learned anything from 2020, we will keep showing up for our neighbors. Otherwise we've done disservice to those who have been sick or died in the past year. Yeah, absolutely. Pre-recording, you and I had kind of briefly talked about how the book has been received. And overall, there is this massive outpouring of like, holy, that was amazing. Thank you. It's been really, really well received. But my question pre-recording had been, was it all completely well received? Only just because I was curious after watching a CBC interview about some maybe reactions to your decisions versus the book. Can you just elaborate a bit on that? Yeah. So the book has been really, really well received by everybody. Mm -hmm. The difference is if you take what I think people have told me was they didn't understand my decision to leave politics, but when they read the book, they were like, oh, hell yeah, I get it. Right. And at the time, you know, there was a lot of disappointment. There still is a lot of disappointment for me leaving I was a powerful voice in politics, you know, our communities, especially ones with intersecting identities, not just the black community, but others need people who are going to challenge the status quo. You know, people are saying to me, are you going back into government? Are you going back into politics? You know, there's this yearning for people to be in the political establishment who are going to push back against the status quo. And the disappointment is, even though she was unconventional, she's now not there. So we don't even have that. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think either they don't appreciate the unconventional version of myself. And in which case they probably would never buy the book. So they're probably still disappointed in just <laughs> my disruption. You know, we're supposed to sit there and be pretty and be quiet and go along to get along and do those sorts of things, but we're not. And I, I didn't. And so there is some disappointment in that. Mm-hmm. But I think the book wasn't about a political book. The book was a book to heal. The book was a book to help people heal and understand how to create that empathy for yourself in particular, but for others. 
So it wasn't necessarily about politics. I learned how to do this because of how painfully beautiful politics was. Mm -hmm. But that was not the premise of writing the book. Mm -hmm. I loved the relatability in it as well. There were so many things that you spoke about. It was another thing that we mentioned pre-recording is about how relatable the book and the content of the book is because it's real. And even though so many of us cannot relate to the experience of living in a black body or to living in politics or to have having the upbringing that you did and, and the traumas in your life, you still wrote in such a way that the, the content was relatable and it, and it would hit you to your core. There were times where I had to pause and just digest, you know, what I'd listened to. Yeah. And I really thank you for that. Oh, thank you. I, you know, I, it would have been easy for me to write this book in a different way and a more traditional way, writing it about, you know, the successes I had in business, the, you know, the great places that I spoke and, you know, the resilience and the determination, but I just didn't think that that, first of all, that's what Google's for. You could Google all that about me and (laughs) that that story is already written. I wanted to write a book in what I've always believed is that people see the end result. People see Selena, the parliamentary secretary, the person with the house, the car, the family. But we live in a, we live in an Instagram filtered world where everything is filtered for us. So what what about the blood, sweat, and tears that went into this life? Where is the pain in the relationships that go into that? You know, snapshot of the perfect family. You know, what what is that? And how many people are going through that? Everybody. Mm-hmm. How many people would like to be able to heal from that? Everybody. How many people tell that story? Nobody. Right? So how, how are we supposed to change how we interact in a, as a world, as a community, as families, if we don't peel back the onion layer a little bit and just say, yeah, there is redemption after mistakes. There is beauty after pain. There is purpose after hurt. Mm-hmm. Why can't we have that discussion? Yeah. That makes me think of um, a lot of the limiting beliefs that you were very open about in the book as well, or how people would call you brave or courageous because you would just get out and nail a speech that you had written on your way there, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, th- there's, there's always that Every time I hear somebody say something about me that's profound, you know, you don't want to diss them in the moment and say, that's not true. Mm-hmm. But inside I'm like, oh, that's so not true. And that's where, you know, the imposter syndrome comes in as well, right? Because you're hearing these things about yourself and then you're like, I don't know if I'm that person. Who are they describing this? Like, and Selena, I come up on stage. was like, oh my God, that's me. Like, <laughs> Jesus, who is that superwoman? Yeah. But, you know, Again, there is that there's both sides of it. Mm. And I really wanted to show the other side of success, the, the side people don't usually talk about in a, in a way that's open and honest. And it's sort of well-rounded. Mm-hmm. Not to quote Drake again, but the started from the bottom. Mm-hmm. It kept bringing the tone back to you can do this. It's going to be hard. You're going to have to put the work in, but you can do it. Be consistent and honor your truth. Yes. Yeah. And it's interesting. I have, I have my version of the book that has all these sticky notes in it and it has, you know, highlighted and has the pen marks in it and the notes, like if I didn't write it. Right. (laughs) And, you know, I have all these themes that I'm going to write that one down. 
the, the Drake quote, because that is a theme that keeps coming in the book is that you're right at the bottom and you could still do it. But that doing it is, is that's what people want to know. The how, mm-hmm. the how do you navigate? How do you build resilience? How do you get that perseverance and determination to keep going? Even when you have been knocked down a few times or you knock yourself down a few times as I, as I've done many times in my life. So that, that, how do you do that is fundamentally important. And I think, uh, especially for young people, we know that they're going to make, make mistakes, but nobody's ever written about what to do after. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so I wrote a book on it Yes, <laughs> and I, I have to put them all in there. And it's interesting. I had a great editor, um, Anne Collins, who's the executive editor now at, at Random House Canada. And she, at one point said to me, you know, I, I'd write some of the stories and she'd go, there's a gap here. I said, well, what do you mean? She's like, this is incomplete. And I said, well, I know that's because I left a gap there. <laughs> and she says, you're, you're just this truth teller. Let's, let's honor that in the book. Mm. And let's honor the ability to make this book something that heals instead of hurts. So you were able to dig a little bit deeper with some encouragement to round out. Yes. Right. Yes. Yes. Yeah. A lot of the stories that are in the book either were written from an angry perspective or they weren't included at all. There was a reference to it, but it wasn't there. And with the help of an editor, I was able to either round out the story so it was a healing versus a hurting story or include the story in a way that didn't further hurt myself or anyone else but allowed people, so like the the sexual assault or the miscarriages allowed people to know that you, first of all, you know, you, you experiencing sexual assaults and going back, that's not your fault. That can never be on the child. And we carry that stuff. We carry that for years and years. Well, obviously like I'm 46, I've been carrying it for 35 years. You know, you carry that stuff and that guilt, you carry that with you. Mm -hmm. And whether or not you believe it, it consumes you. It eats parts of your reserves of light and joy. So we have to let it go. Mm -hmm. Another thing that you were very open about in your book and about things that you've been carrying has to do with mental health and your and your journey with mental health. Yeah. And this is something that within the book, but even present day, you're, you're very open about, which I also believe as much as it's part of your own healing, it's also like the book, helping other people heal because it's starting crucial conversations and it's bringing to light some of the darkest things that people experience. Yeah. And you know what, with, with mental health, you know, when, when I started talking about it, even in politics, I didn't think it was going to go viral. Like nothing I do, I ever think this is the moment it's going to go viral, right? You just right. do it and then something happens and it sparks. And so talking about mental health, it was interesting. When I, when I originally wrote the blog, it went viral. And then I had somebody tell me, Selena, you know, I'm so glad that you're able to tell this story. But if I were to tell my story, I would, I'm afraid I'd lose my job or lose my kids. That had a profound impact on me. Like one I will never, ever forget. And so we need to keep talking about it and I won't ever stop talking about it. It's definitely something that allows people the safe space to listen and even to maybe think about how they could or would communicate it moving forward. And I hope that they do find that strength to talk about it or to seek help. 
Yeah. And, and it's also like people like us who have privilege to talk about it should be able to talk about it. We talk a lot about privilege. And if you don't know how to use your privilege for good, you hoard it and you keep that power to yourself. If you know how to use your privilege for good, then you're able to say, okay, you can't talk about this, but I will amplify your voice. I will make it such that it's easier to be able to talk about it. So you don't lose your job and you don't lose your kids. Could you imagine like being able saying I have depression and being afraid to lose your job or lose your, like that's crazy, but that is people's reality. So if we have positions of privilege and we're able to use that privilege to say, I'm going to amplify this message a little bit more. So it doesn't happen to people, then why not do that? Yeah. That made me think of a quote. Another thing that I had written down that you'd said about how the bravest thing you can do is leave. And I'm going to kind of link that back to the privilege thing too, only just because you bring up a really good point where some people don't have the privilege or the ability to leave a space or a job where they're unsafe and are unheard. Yeah. And it's not just a space or a job, right? Like it's relationships. Mm -hmm. It's, I, I wrote that part really from a general perspective because I wanted people to know that this is not just about a job or about your career. This is about anything you put your time, energy, resources, love into. And, you know, when I think about my job as a parliamentary secretary, like I loved that job as parliamentary secretary for international development. And I was forced to leave something that I truly loved. And it was a hard decision. And it was one of the hardest things that I had to do because I knew people would be so disappointed, which naturally happens. Even when you leave relationship, oh, he's such a good guy. Oh, he's such a great girl. Oh, they're so fantastic. Why would you leave? Mm-hmm. And then we stay in these positions where we know we're not getting a positive return on investment. We're being mistreated. We are not honoring our true selves. And we sit and we stay. Why aren't we talking about leaving? Why aren't we saying, why aren't we empowering people to say, yeah, no, you know, totally cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Do that. Yeah. We're, we're done. We're out. Exactly. Honoring their truth, putting themselves first, but it's, yeah, it's been made such a difficult process. It's been made. Yeah. Undoable and unbearable for so many reasons. Mm -hmm. Undoable. But even when we talk about miscarriage, we Mm -hmm. are told as do not talk about, tell anybody about your pregnancy until after three months. It's like embedded in a system Mm -hmm. that you're not supposed to talk. Like even that language, it's like, because if anything happens, you don't want to tell anyone. Well, that doesn't make any sense because how are you supposed to heal? That that just perpetuates the internalization of these hurts, of these pains, which again, draws on our resources of joy and light and power. And so you want us to internalize it or you want us to like help ourselves, but you don't want us to talk about it. And the messaging around everything is don't talk about it until after a certain time, just in case Mm -hmm. you don't have to talk about it more. Yeah. It's it's tiring. Mm -hmm. This whole idea of keeping these secrets, it's tiring. And being silenced. Absolutely. Being silenced. It's so unhealthy. Yeah. And that's, that's the part that I think I want to disrupt. So Mm -hmm. this, this book was written from a perspective of let's disrupt some of these narratives. Let's disrupt all of these written and unwritten rules that were written or unwritten by people who didn't look like us. So these rules don't apply to us. So we like, please stop trying to follow these rules that were written by whom? Mm -hmm. Some men sitting around a table, let's not talk about pregnancy until three months. What, dude, really? 
It's because it makes people uncomfortable. Right. Right. Like we don't want to talk about it because if you come back to me as your gynecologist, I, I just don't know what to say to you. So like, let's just not talk about it. Well, okay. Let's rewrite these rules as we go along, whether it's politics, whether it's life, whether it's love, whether it's business, let's rewrite these rules because we were not included in the original draft. We were not included and we, st- we still follow them back to keeping up with the Joneses. Who are they? Yeah. I have no idea who they are. But for some reason, somebody with a limited imagination said we have to keep up with them. Mm-hmm. I don't even know who they are. Nope. It's an excellent point. Yeah. Rewrite the rules. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm really enjoying this conversation. Thank you. Thank you. And being respectful of your time, I want to jump into my safe haven style questions because I think you're really going to okay. enjoy these. Okay. What are you most proud of? Oh, my children. Hmm. And and I'm most proud of the fact that they made it out of the birth canal on their own. Everything that my kids after do after that is icing on the cake. <laughs> like just them entering the world. I was like, oh my God, mm-hmm. you made it. Mm-hmm. Like you, you came, you found your way out. Yeah. <laughs> That's so awesome. They're just babies. They're like, they don't even know how to do anything on their own. And they were like, they just went out and you know, popped out. I was like, oh my God, you guys are so awesome. And so like, that's how I treat my kids. Like you are like, anything you do on top of that is like my 21 year old has her law degree now. Like that is like, 21? yeah, yeah. Wow. Yeah. No, th- my kids, honestly, they're Selena 2.0. They're the version of me that blows my mind. Mm. Like they've been, both of my daughters have been traveling on their own since they were about 13, like international travel just by themselves. My, my 15 year old, when she was my 16 year old, when she was 15, just was in Australia at the beginning of the pandemic for six weeks, like her and a friend, like it was, it's just, they're just so amazing. Mm -hmm. They're they're. I'm so proud. As you should be. (laughs) What would you like to be known for? I want to be known as the person that lived, like just lived, right? Like I I actually, and I say this to my mom all the time and she's like, don't say things like that. I'm like, I actually want my tomb, my tombstone to read. All she had left to do was die because I've done everything else. Wow. Okay. I'm going to pause there. What are you currently working on that has you super fired up? Like, what are you really excited about doing right now? Oh, see, this is an interesting question, Amanda, because- I, I'm living now that has me fired up. Oh, you couldn't have answered that better. Oh, <laughs> gosh, I love this. Um, yeah, I'm so fired up about just being in the present, about being here and now. Mm. Um, when people say, what are you doing next? I say, I'm going to do now next. That is my, that is an extra bonus takeaway for me today. Like I, that is beautiful. <laughs> Oh, I love that. Thank you so much for that. It's not that I'm not working on things, you know, I'm working on, of course, I'm, I'm writing a course. I'm doing things like that. I'm writing actually that the how to version of the book, like the journal that goes with the book. I'll actually, I'll, I'll, I wouldn't mind sending it to you. I'd love that. So that you could take a look at it. It's online. I just don't promote it as much, but I'm doing things, but I'm in the present. So I've never had an opportunity to do this in my entire life. And to be in the now, in the present is just so blissfully awesome that mm-hmm. it, it makes me so excited. 
I love that answer so much for so many reasons. But I think even my question had stemmed from a place of knowing how go, go, go and chase, chase, chase you've been for, like you said, 35 years. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, my dog hears the garage opening. So he's like, (laughs) finally, somebody's going to pay attention to me. Um, yeah. And it, it was, it was a journey to get to this point, mm-hmm. honestly, but the pandemic, as horrible as the pandemic is, I hate giving this answer, but as horrible as the pandemic is, it forced me to just stop moving because everybody stopped. Now I'm like, oh, everybody's stopping. It means it gives me permission to stop. And then I really started practicing my meditation and my spirituality and just saying, mm-hmm. no, we're not going to write down next. We're just going to live now and enjoy mm-hmm. Oh, I love it. Okay. My last one then, and actually I have an idea of what you might say here, but if you had a message for everyone listening, what would it be? To live authentically, um, mm-hmm. to show up as your, as long as it's safe to do so, show up as your 100% authentic self, because everything that you've done in your life, every barrier you've overcome, every challenge that you've faced, every everything that you've done, irrespective of your schoolwork and your business acumen, every single one of those things have created value in you. And therefore you are an asset to any organization, institution, conversation that you are part of. And if you hide parts of that, you're leaving that value on the table. You're leaving that value behind. And that's the part that the the world actually needs to show up. All of it, all of you every part. Thank you so much, Selena. Thank you, Amanda. This was so, this was great. This is a refreshing conversation actually. Oh, I'm glad. I'm happy to hear that. It's real Zen. Selena, thank you. I agree. That conversation was quite Zen. I appreciate you and your time so, so much. Your answers had me just stopped in my tracks about living and living for now and being fired up about living right now. I I thank you so deeply for that. What a beautiful, beautiful reminder. To everyone listening, I recognize the privilege that comes with my platform and I am committed to creating a safe, brave and inclusive space with intention. If this episode has hit you right in the heart or inspired you in any way, please screenshot the screen while you're listening, send it to your friends and share it in your Instagram stories. Please be sure to tag us at the Safe Haven Podcast so we can personally thank you for it. If you're able to write a review or leave a juicy five-star rating on Apple Podcasts, that really helps this podcast grow. If today is the start of your journey into the depths of anti-racism, learning and unlearning of old ways, be kind to yourself. Try not to feel burdened by shame or guilt. Keep moving, keep growing, keep leading with love, and I will talk to you next week.